Welcome to Fresh Growth, a podcast by the Western Sarah Program. We have completed the second season and are preparing for season three. Thank you for listening to season two. In between seasons, we are sharing some special podcasts. These podcasts were created by students in the Washington State University's System Skills for Agriculture and Food Systems class. The students interviewed producers on topics such as regenerative agriculture, permaculture, marketing, economics, technology, and more. We hope you enjoy and learn from their work. On this podcast today, we're going to expand knowledge within the food production business and understand the complexity of food system issues. Dr. Timothy Nadro is an assistant research professor for the School of Economic Sciences here at WSU and has a PhD in applied economics. In talking to Dr. Nadro, you're hoping to better understand the relationship between agriculture and economics. COVID-19 has impacted the global economy. According to the USDA, the world's gross domestic product is expected to decline in 2020 for the first time since 2009. Dr. Nadro, can you just give us a brief introduction about you and your work. Hi, everyone. Uh, Dr. Nadro, call me Tim, please. I got my PhD in economics, applied economics here at WSU in 2018, but I was actually hired here a little bit before that to work in the Economic Schools Impact Center. We do a lot of work with commodity groups and uh, government agencies doing policy assessment and impact analysis. And the majority of our work historically has been focused on developing new outlets for Washington agricultural commodities in export markets. Um, Most of our work today is looking specifically at how commodity groups within the state affect the state's gross state product rather than their gross domestic product, so particularly how they influence Washington. I'm also the managing editor of Washington Agribusiness Status and Outlook Report. That report goes to the state legislature, ag committees in both the House and the Senate, goes to the governor's office, and gets sent out to various commodity groups as well. So that's who I am. Thank you. You talked about as a state, the domestic product. So USDA is predicting a decline in the world's gross domestic product. How do you think this will affect the United States agriculture exports? And if you'd like to touch on Washington, that's okay. Yeah, so exports are a component of gross domestic product. And so it's not really clear at this point A decline in world GDP doesn't necessarily mean a decline in GDP for the U.S. It's also helpful when you're talking about world output to distinguish between developed and emerging and developing economies. Tends to be what we see or what we have seen historically is that the emerging economies, the developing economies tend to be growing much faster which is is to be expected. They're smaller and more agile, and so they have more room to grow. But the U.S. has had strong agricultural exports for a long period of time, particularly to the east. So Japan, China, the Philippines, Thailand, uh, some of those areas, a lot of the Arab countries as well. I'm not quite sure how the United States agricultural exports are going to evolve in the future. But the contribution that they play to the U.S. GDP factors into the GDP equation as part of net exports. So so exports minus imports are, are the contribution to GDP. So if exports are rising faster than imports, then GDP, U.S. GDP, would be expected to grow, et cetera, paribus. I anticipate that Washington's agricultural exports specifically 
I say this with some trepidation, but all signs indicate that those exports are scheduled to decline, at least in 2020, and that's a direct result of COVID. So when we looked at potatoes this year, potato exports by March were 35% below expectations, and by April they were 50% below expectations, and that's because the demand for French fries Primarily, 86% of Washington's potatoes are put into French fry production. French fry production just dropped because of the closures throughout the nation and abroad. Um, yeah, so 50% of that market disappeared. And what happened as a response to that was farmers curtailing a lot of their acreage from potatoes, converting that acreage into corn and wheat, which tend to be more staple goods. They have a longer shelf life that type of thing. So I think the value of Washington exports is looking like it's going to decline. We saw the same thing with dairies. We saw the same thing with beef producers. Even though we, we process a lot of beef, we, we see some decline this year relative to the last couple of years in those industries. Uh, we also know that exports, not necessarily agricultural exports, but things like Boeing, some of our big export-based industries in the state, uh, have taken really big hits. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Washington's agricultural exports and exports in general down this year. And you would discuss potatoes and it's a, it's a crop that's commonly grown in Washington. So since that potato production and supply has declined this year, do you uh, foresee any future impacts to the p- potato industry as a whole? Yeah, this because there was a lot more risk associated with those than those other goods, the wheat and corn etc. I I think that they're going to have a longer recovery time than some of the other agricultural products. Um, One of the things that we we tried to look into was the seed potato industry, but most of Washington's seed potatoes, I believe, come out of Montana. To the extent that seed potato acreage was curtailed, it wouldn't be surprising to think that that's going to prolong, prolong the reduction in exports from the potato industry. We estimated almost a billion, $984 million in economic losses to gross state product just from the potato reductions. And that included increased production in, in wheat. So, so there was a net decline in, in GDP from that. Uh, we're also thinking that the, there are significant costs that growers are starting to incur because of COVID-19. There's policies being pushed in Olympia right now to try and increase uh, some of the COVID protections, personal protective equipment, and that kind of thing in the agricultural sector because that's where they see new hotspots and outbreaks emerging. So, so there could be more costs which means lower profitability for for those crops. So that could have a long long term impact, actually. You touched on COVID nineteen, so and the industry. So seeing how COVID nineteen has already had a major effect on the economic aspects of the ag industry, is there any policy which you slightly touched on, or steps you think that should be done to help prevent a general decline in the industry, or that can help turn around yeah, the industry? It's a very nuanced question. So most of what, what we do is policy analysis. So Olympia will come up with policies and then we evaluate those policies and the effects of those policies. That's very different than kind of putting together a schedule of policies that they ought to consider. One of the things that we've noticed, particularly with potatoes, is that even though they were eligible for some of the farm assistance uh, that came out, it was very difficult for those farmers to acquire that assistance because 
they were able to harvest their crops. It wasn't like the crops were damaged. It's just that there was no buyers. And so a lot of the farmers, the, the potato growers, weren't able to avail themselves of those those federal dollars because they couldn't show a direct loss in production. So, for example, if you had a COVID outbreak on your processing plant and that led to a reduction in productivity, you were able to claim those dollars. But a lot of potato growers weren't able to do that. Plus a lot of their potatoes were out of the ground before the program actually got implemented anyways. So one of the things that we might wanna do is, is have targeted programs. I always think it's better to have targeted rather than broad programs when it comes to this type of thing. You know, I mean, we see this in the beef industry. We see this in the dairy industry as well. There's a lot of regulation that goes into these these industries to, you know, promote food safety and health on a lot of different levels. But the reality is uh, most potato growing is fairly isolated. You don't have a lot of person-to-person -person contact in a potato digger, <laughs> right? Uh, in the pack houses, that might be a little bit different. Uh, in the processing facilities, that might be a little bit different, but it seems like there's already support for those, those operations. There seems to be less support for the actual grow operations, at least when it comes to potatoes. I don't know that there's a broad policy to deal with a pandemic from an agricultural perspective. It was fascinating that it wasn't just supply chains. It's important when you're talking about COVID to understand exactly how a disruption affects an economy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and typically it hits an industry, a specific industry, and then spreads throughout the economy. You saw this at the housing crisis, right? The housing industry gets hit first. There's all these foreclosures. It immediately spreads to the banking sector, but you had auto industries getting affected by this. And so it tends to be that economic disruptions or economic shocks spread through the economy. That didn't happen here. It was the immediate shutdown of the entire thing. So I guess if you were going to make one policy from a broad perspective, you would want to make sure that we were able to stave off what we call a inflationary spiral. And that's where everyone holds their money. People can't sell their products. So prices fall because they're trying to move product out the door to generate some revenue for their companies. And as prices fall, consumers hold their money even tighter because they say, maybe prices will drop even farther. So why buy it now when I can get it tomorrow for cheaper? And so you get into this vicious cycle where prices just keep collapsing. And when you have a deflationary spiral as opposed to an inflationary spiral, deflationary spirals are fast, they're very damaging, and it's harder to recover historically. It takes more time. Putting policies in place that would prevent that kind of drastic yo-yoing effect of the economy might be a good idea. Food system as a whole, there's so many components, and you touched on how one thing is related to the next. And when you talked about the housing crisis, and it seems like COVID-19 is kind of obviously the end product going to consumers because the producers couldn't sell to the suppliers because it shut down, created some problems in the ag industry. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today and touching on this subject. It's definitely some nuances to this topic. Happy to be, be here. Happy to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fresh Growth. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on Western Sayre grants and our learning resources, visit westernsayre.org.